Greetings and welcome to EHA Unplugged, the official podcast channel of the European Hematology Association, EHA. This is a special Lighting the Flame edition where we talk to some of our promising and active members in the hematology community. Our guests in this podcast series have volunteered their time to attend and facilitate the Lighting the Flame program where they mentor young trainees and medical students in their field of hematology. In this podcast series, they talk about their experiences in their field and give advice to those who are interested in becoming a hematologist. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. I'm today happy to have Miriam Bellebos um, to talk about pediatric hematology. Would you please introduce yourself, Miriam? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, Miriam Belderbos. I'm a pediatric hemato-oncologist uh, stem cell transplanter from Utrecht, the Netherlands. Um, and I'm actually a clinical hemato-oncologist and also a scientist. So I have a, a lab working on pediatric hemato-oncology. Sounds very interesting. I'm Kirsten Groenberg. I'm a professor of hematology from Rieswurstbetel in Copenhagen. I'm also seeing patients and having a lab on the site. So we're sort of doing similar things. But you in pediatrics, can you tell me a little bit about why is pediatric hematology so interesting? Um, to me, it's one of the most challenging professions, I would say. Um, part of it is similar to adult hematology, like setting, making a differential diagnosis, talking to patients. Um, that's somewhat similar. But the thing that's more challenging in children is the different life phases that you encounter. I mean, in pediatric hemato or in pediatric hematology, we see neonates with clotting disorders or hematomas, as well as adolescents with myeloid leukemias and everything in between. Uh, and that really makes you, uh, that really forces you to be creative. You must um, be very, I mean, you, you must be very broad-minded because yes. you even also have oncology, right? Or Well, currently I'm only working uh, in an oncology center. Mm -hmm. So my job is focused on pediatric hemato-oncology only. Okay. Um, but if you were to want to do, I think that's in, there's, that's different in different countries. So yeah. there will also be countries in which benign and malignant hematology are combined. Yeah, and what about, but, but for specialization in mm -hmm. pediatrics, where I come from, you have to do everything. Yeah. Is that, is that also the case for yeah, you? Yeah, so <laughs> if you were to want to be, like, to get to being a pediatric hemato-oncologist, yeah. the first stage is to basically finish your medical studies. Then there's general pediatrics, and that's everything. Yeah. yeah. From gastroenterology to neurology to hematology, general pediatrics, asthma, you really encounter everything. And you do that how long time? Uh, in the Netherlands, it's uh, five years in total. Um, and then on top, and then on top, there's another. Let me check to be correct. So it's six years of med school, five years of general pediatrics. Then there's three years of pediatric hemo or pediatric oncology. Um, and then on top of that, I'm a transplanter, so that would be around two years of pediatric transplants. But I think in many ways, being a hematologist is a, long, a lifelong learning, right? <laughs> it's training on the job. So I, I never worried about having a very long education. It's yeah. just, it's fun to do. And you train on the job as well, exactly. also during your edu education. In the Netherlands, after having finished med school, you get a decent salary. So to me, yeah. it really didn't matter that my badge said in training. No, 
No. And actually, when you stop training, it's becoming boring. So <laughs> when you stop training, you still feel like you're kind of are in training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, so PTRC, I mean, what's special to this patient? You said a little bit before, you know, what about the treatment itself? I mean, and, and the side effects and can you, can you speculate a little bit about that and the long-term effects? Yeah, that's a very, yeah. very good point. I will actually also address that a bit in my presentation tomorrow. Yeah. Um, one of the key things in children is we really need to balance immediate cure with long-term effects. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these children, if we are successful in curing them, will need to survive for another like six or seven decades. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which means that we are really focusing on curing them for life yeah. and providing good quality of life for the next decades to come. So, 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 so it's really must be a, a, a very delicate balance. So yeah, yeah, it's a balancing yeah, act for yeah, sure. Yeah. So the mission of our center is actually to cure every child with cancer with optimal quality of life. So we do recognize that even though we may not be able to cure everyone, we should focus on dealing or preventing long-term effects or dealing with those as well. Yeah, yeah, because that must be a huge challenge in a way. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking that's very must be very different from what I'm doing is that so 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 every time you have, I mean, you're treating the patient, but you also have the parents. And and can you can you can you tell me a little about how how you handle all this? Because oh, we the, often treat the family. Yeah, the family. Uh, yeah, that, treat yeah. the patients. We treat the family. Yeah, and that's uh, pediatrics in general, I would think. Yeah. Um, so that's a challenge that really needs to be tailored to the age of the patient. Yeah, sure. Um, so with young children, with babies, of course, you communicate more with the family yeah. than with the patients themselves. Yeah. So you really talk about the patients instead of with them, Yeah. Um, which is completely different from a teenager, of course, who is very well uh, capable of making their own decisions, understanding what they are suffering from and actually making a shared decision on how to move forward. So, so, so is there a, I mean, is there an age limit on where, how, when, when do you say, because is it okay for the, the teenager can take the decision maybe, but, but what is the role then of the family? I mean, of the parents, for example, I mean, can that not be a challenge? You know, the, 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 it's oftentimes, um, if the child has made up their mind and is quite outspoken about this. And usually teenage, especially teenagers have thought about this. Yeah. Um, the family aligns with their choices. So it's very, very rare to for parents okay. or families not to agree with what child wants. Um, what I find challenging is of course, we do have these patients, which we see over years and years and years. So sometimes you have patients that you first encounter when they are eight or 10, and then it's usually the parents making the decision. But as you move along, these children grow up and actually become adolescents and young adults and get grow into a phase where they are capable of making their decisions. And then sometimes as a physician, you really need to switch gears yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and then stop talking to the parents and actually start putting education exactly. first. Yeah. And that is something, is, oftentimes something that you need to... Yeah, it's like the you that has the problem with the doctor because those families are sometimes so used 
of coming into your office, having the parents explain what's going on, huh? and the kid just sitting there and nodding. See? And then you really need to say, hey, wait, wait a second. Yeah. You're 15 now. You oh. start today. And that's actually also good for them to become more independent. Yeah, definitely. And it's important, right? Yeah. Uh, and we even have some patients, which is fun as well, as they grow up. Some of them get their driver's license and then they come into the outpatient <laughs> clinics by themselves for the first time or they bring a girlfriend. So yeah. that's also... So you follow them for the whole yeah. life in yeah. a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at least until you handle over to us, maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, must be quite fascinating. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and one other thing of pediatrics that's very um, different from adults is um, we play a bit more. Mm -hmm. So I think for as a pediatrician, you need to be a bit more creative. You yeah. need to think yeah. out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we different ways of approaching in your ways of approaching of connecting to yeah. patients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have this annual thing in our center, which is called the water splash, <laughs> uh, which basically means that all healthcare providers gather with like these super soakers and all kinds of water pistols. And then the children <laughs> gather on the balconies or in the garden. And we have this huge water fight. <laughs> uh, everybody gets drenched. Um, which is a lot of fun, but sounds like a great speciality, actually. Yeah, maybe, it, I, maybe I don't see any adult, I haven't seen any adult chemoterapist doing anything like that. Oh no, no, it sounds like no. a great idea. Yeah. So, so you say you also have a research lab. Yep. Um, so, what are you focusing on there, and and how is how is that to combine to combine research and yeah. clinical? Yeah. So my. Um, my lab is focused on, I'm a stem cell transplanter. Yeah, okay, yeah. And my lab is basically focused on uh, basically two major questions. Uh, the first question being stem cell regeneration after transplant, because we really understand very little yeah. on yeah. how a very small bag of cells is capable of regenerating regenerating yeah. the entire blood system. So we use yeah. several like single cell technologies yeah. to start and study that phenomena. Yeah. yeah. Um, with the ultimate goal of making that more successful. Yeah. Um, and then the second goal is, um, or in the second major line of research, is to investigate the long-term effects of transplant. Oh, yeah. Because um, we've been now transplanting for about 16 to 17 years, um, and numbers are increasing, and we really still understand very little about the long-term impact of a stem cell transplant on the quality of these cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also on the immune system of the, uh, I mean... How, yeah, yeah, immune system, uh, blood production. So, so is that more epidemiology or you were investigating them in the lab or... It's, um, uh, it's both, both actually. Yeah, yeah. The clinical study in which we recruit long-term survivors of transplants. Very interesting. Um, who visit our outpatient yeah. clinic. Yeah. And we draw a tube of blood, which we then use to investigate the quality and quantity of hematopoietic stem cells. Yeah, yeah. Um, using various lab techniques yeah. so it's and we have a like big part of biobanking so that if we find any differences you can, can go can back. really go yeah. back That's and write really nice. them. Yeah. so you've been biobanking ever since you started or well this is one of the things that i thought of being a junior group leader i thought that would be cool yeah. i had been focusing a lot on uh, on mouse transplants oh, yeah. and there we are very well aware that a transplant decreases the number of stem cell clones yeah. and serial yeah. transplants eventually mm -hmm. lead to like exhaustion or a loss yeah. of stem stemness um but we hardly have any uh, don't we hardly understand what that means for humans especially but that's actually interesting because it's not what you see isn't it well i don't know but but what 
So do you know the amount of stem cells in an adult that was transplanted X number of years ago? Do you know that by now? Is that still? Well, there's different way. It kind of depends on the way you study it. Yeah. There's been some like recent reports by the group of Peter Campbell. Yeah. That has oh, yeah. used these single cell yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sequencing technologies to start addressing that question. Yeah. And I think their study claims that well, they say that in a healthy adult, it's at any moment in time, there's about 100,000 stem cells contributing to the pool, which is slightly decreased after transplant, but not a lot. No, because, I mean, we know from these clone hematoresis studies, you know, that if you get to be 100, there's actually only one clone left. Longer than yeah. Now, you know, so. yeah, and that's actually one of the questions we're trying to address in our clinical study. What happens if you are transplanted at the age of two yeah. with stem cells of a 30 or a 40-year-old donor? What does that mean on the long term? Yeah. Because by the time that patient gets to be 40 or 50 years old. Yeah, and they'll be an 80-year-old stem cell. Yeah, those will be 80 or 90 years old. Yeah, that's so a fascinating question. We yeah. need to outlive normal human yeah. lifespan. Can they do that? Yeah. How can they do that? Do they maintain their function or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the more from the more biologic side, if they don't, if they don't, do they rejuvenate because they're now in a young body? And so this is fascinating, super fascinating. Yeah, very nice research questions. Also, yeah, I think which and very I I've read about oh, before. So yeah. luckily, I still have a couple of decades to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's very good. That you started yeah. early, I think. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. So it's usually advice a young one of these young people here to to go into pediatric hematology what what would you suggest them to do um i would suggest them to not focus too early because mm. i think pediatric hematology is really a niche field yeah and there can't be that many positions either there can't be that many positions so it's it's a really fun job so go for it mm. but having a broad basis is very important because you encounter everything, bleeding disorders, which might manifest as neurologic symptoms, which you need to be able to recognize. Yeah, yeah. Um, graft versus host disease manifesting as profuse diarrhea, which you need to be able to treat. So having experience in neurology, gastroenterology, et cetera, et cetera. It's super important. Yeah. Super important. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I like this broadness, in the, at least in the beginning, but... but would you also, is there, are there any possibilities, for example, to get any experience with it? For example, um, perceptorships or something like that. So you can, so you sort of can find out whether this would be something for you at an early stage. Because, I mean, you could be, I think you could be very shocked by, by the complications and the sick children. And so if you're not. Yeah, I completely agreed. Mm. Um, so it's a fun job. But it's also a very confronting job. Yeah. Because realistically, we cannot cure everybody. No. Uh, And you need to be able to cope with that. Yeah, exactly. So seeing or testing whether you can do that is something, like, it's a skill you can in part learn. Yeah. But part of it is also... Doing it, yeah. Innate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you really cannot deal with that, you might be better off choosing a different... Exactly, yeah, yeah. And then if you're a young doctor, I always say that to everybody, just talk to people. Yeah. Because uh, if people in my lab or in my institute or at a conference come to me and ask me, would you be willing to have a coffee? Mm-hmm. That's a- always fun. Of and course. it's always yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah. And if people want to 
shadow someone in a lab or visit an outpatient clinic. There are often possibilities to arrange that. Yeah, I think that would be a very good idea. Maybe that's something ETA could even facilitate, you know. I think things like that, I mean, it is a good, I think it's a good way as a young doctor to see where you're heading. I mean, in... And if you have a good question, I'm considering pediatric oncology, but I'm not sure if I'm able to deal with the sickness of these children. Can I just experience that for a day? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great thing. I think that would be a good good start for many of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you very much for your time. It was very enlightening for me as an old people. (laughs) See, you're not. (laughs) Thank you very much.